explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rated PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome into another edition of the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls, and lucky to be joined today by John Talty from Bama247.com. John, thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Big, big game, obviously, this weekend. And, uh, you know, as, as we kind of head into the latter portion of this week, one of the big talking points has been the line kind of getting closer, I think, to to more of a toss-up. And, and there was that story about, Jalen Milrow and rumor about him and his hamstring or anything. Have you heard anything like that? Or what's what's kind of his status heading into Saturday? Yeah, I think, I mean, the expectation is that he's going to play. Um, you know, yeah. I think there has been some buzz um, about him dealing with some hamstring issues. Um, I think, okay. you know, how, whether to how much to trust any of that, I think is always uh, in question. And I think, you know, Bama is obviously going to downplay and other people are going to play it up. And so I think we'll see on Saturday what's real and what's not. I think, you know, I've heard some stuff that he might have tweaked something, but, you know, the expectation is that he's going to play. And so we'll see, uh, you know, probably pretty early on in that game, I'm sure, with the rumors buzzing about that. If you're A&M, you want to test it a little bit, see see how it looks and see if he still has you know, kind of the full go he's had in some of these other games. John, uh, it's been funny. Bama's, I guess their narratives have been kind of similar to A&M this season as far as when A&M lost to Miami, it was like, oh, my God, the season's over. Then they kind of bounced back with two double-digit, you know, SEC wins. And Bama similarly, right, like uh, lose to Texas, the USF game, made people want to puke. And then, you know, they come out and they they beat Ole Miss by a couple of scores. They take care of business with Mississippi State. Uh have they kind of figured it out, or is it, hey, Mississippi State stinks and Ole Miss, you know, we, I don't know. But what, what, how do you kind of see it as far as Alabama? I think they're very similar, to your point, and it feels like both of them. I think for Alabama, it was more of an offensive thing. I think for AM it was more of a defensive thing. But it feels like both of them have kind of found an identity over the last two games. But I think what makes this game so fascinating is that I think it'll put to the test as to whether that's real or not. You know, I think Ole Miss is legitimately a pretty good team. And I think the way they beat LSU almost makes that Bama game look even better by comparison, especially the way they played defensively. Mississippi State, I don't think is very good. So hard to take away a lot from that. You know, Auburn, Auburn looked awful in that AM game, but then they looked better against Georgia. So it's like, it's like we're kind of hitting that point where we're starting to figure teams out, but it's still hard to know completely. And so I think we'll know a lot more after this game about, all right, did Alabama actually find an offensive identity that can win? Did A&M actually find a defensive, you know, identity that can win? You know, I think those are some of the things that I'm curious about in this game. Uh, And of course, those are kind of going head to head, but I think you're right. There's a lot of similarities in just having a week two loss 
that led a lot of people to hit the panic button. And then for Bama, I think, honestly, there was even more panic after the South Florida game just of how poorly they played. But I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State wins have given them a little bit more hope. And I think this is kind of that make-or-break game where if they beat a and I think people will really be able to start talking themselves into what this team can do. And if Alabama loses to a and I mean, the panic button will be absolutely slammed and people will be freaking out. Got to ask you about Caden uh, Proctor. You mentioned him as a kind of an X factor in some shows early this week. Has he started to figure things out? It's tough to play, obviously, as a, as a, as a true freshman and get thrown in there. But is, has he started to figure things out? And how do you think this, this offensive line as a whole has played? Yeah, I think they're starting to get better. I think they're starting to come together. I mean, I think from the beginning of the season, I think part of what the narrative was was that there had been so much hype around this offensive line and the fact that they didn't play very well against Texas and didn't play very well against South Florida. It was more of just a not meeting expectations challenge. So I think that was part of why people were so disappointed because they really thought the offensive line was going to take a major step this year. I think against Ole Miss and Mississippi State, they did. I think they played better. There's still some issues there. They've still had some weird snap issues. Seth Seth McLaughlin has not been quite as good as people expected at center. Just some weird timing issues with him and Jalen Milrow. Uh, But Proctor's been one of those guys who's been a bit of a liability for Alabama. I think that they know the talent's there. He's a big guy, number one offensive lineman in the country, recruit-wise. But it's taken him some time to kind of get it figured out. And I think you're starting to see – feels like th- those wheels turning where he's figuring it out. But I do think he is a major question mark still in this game, even with all the talent, just knowing that if I'm a and I'm going after that guy and, and trying to you know, make him stop me. And I think especially against South Florida, it seemed like he struggled against you know the speed rush. And so I would definitely try to test him there and see see if he can hold up, make, you know, make Jalen Milrow's life miserable tomorrow. Excuse me, on Saturday. Yeah, and I want to ask you about Milrow because uh... – the first first time he ever played was against A&M last season, and uh, it's kind of a, a, a tough spot to be thrown into, uh, kind of a last-second deal. But uh, since then, I'm wondering how you've seen him grow. It, and and are, is Bama just sort of saying, hey, just throw it 15 times a game, and we're going to start running the ball now, and that's going to be kind of the identity? And you, you see that sticking kind of throughout the rest of the season. I mean, that was certainly the case against Mississippi State, and it worked out well against Mississippi State. You know, they won pretty easily, and, you know, I think Mississippi State's offense just couldn't do much defensively. I think I think part of it just depends on the team you play. I mean, I think it's hard for me to imagine that being a winning formula against LSU, knowing the way we think LSU can put up points. I mean, I, I also think Alabama's defense is really good, so they should keep them in games. I think the defense continues to keep you in games. Offensive line continues to improve. The running game has not been great, but it's been okay. It's been good enough. I think if all those three components are there, then Carter, to your point, I think that's what you can do. You can limit the shots you have to take. It's give them 50, 20 pa- 15, 20 passes, kind of game manager, point guard, get the ball out, and just don't make big mistakes. I think that is a possible formula for them. Um, but, you know, against Texas, they fell down and they had to take some shots. And so I think it's just somewhat of a game flow question. But I think Miller has definitely improved. You know, it's it's hard. We all play the comparison game. We all just watched two years of Bryce Young be incredible and do ridiculous things. And so it's hard to it's hard for Milrow. Anybody coming in was going to have some challenges there. But I've definitely seen him improve. I think he's getting more confident back there. I think he's starting to figure it out. And he's I mean, he showed against Texas. He can make some big mistakes. Did against Ole Miss too. 
but he's got a better, I think, deep ball than people give him credit for. He can still make that big dynamic play, whether it's the big pass or with his legs, which we saw against Mississippi State as well. So I think he's a dynamic guy. He's just, you know, he's a step back from what they had. And I think they're still trying to figure out what they have in him and how to tailor their offense around him. Yeah, and, and I want to ask long-term with Milrow, is this somebody who could ultimately figure it out in a sense that he could end up being kind of an elite guy in college football as far as – because he does, like you said, have the arm strength. He can make the deeper throws. He's a really fast, incredible athlete. Uh, we've heard Jimbo Fisher talk about him this week. Like, hey, this is not – KJ Jefferson in the sense of how you defend him. It's a lot different than your traditional uh, dual threat guy or your bigger guy. So I wonder in long-term where you think he can improve and, and what he can ultimately be. Yeah. I mean, elite feels a little strong, um, <laughs> but I think like very good, I think is definitely possible. I think that there's, again, I think there's definitely been good growth. You know, you mentioned, that AM game last year. And, you know, we'll see what he does on Saturday, but I, I feel like he's improved a lot since then, at least. And I think it's, you know, some inherent challenges, you know, obviously they switched offensive coordinators and I don't think Jalen Milrow is necessarily like the perfect Tommy Reese quarterback, you know? And so I think there's still some feeling out process there of, you know, trying to figure out how those two guys can figure out the best way to utilize both of their skills. But I think there's potential for him to certainly be an upper echelon, SEC quarterback he might already be you know I don't know what uh your your QB rankings would be but I think he's certainly gotten better and I think that that room has improved and it'll be really interesting to see depending on how this season plays out you know what that room looks like a year from now and they've got you know what some people believe to be either one or number two quarterback prospect coming in next year and I think he's going to probably push whoever is the quarterback regardless uh for, for some time Joined by John Talty again from Bama 247 to look ahead to this weekend's game between the Aggies and the Crimson Tide. We're going to take a quick break and um, be sure to stick with us. We'll be right back to look a little bit more at the defensive side of the ball in this Alabama defense, which has once again been really good. So stick with us. We'll be right back after a quick break. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.
All right, welcome back into the Gigum 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls and John Talty. John, got to ask you about this Alabama defense. It's another salty group and, and ranked among the top in the SEC. What have you seen from them so far, and um, what have been some of your big takeaways? Yeah, they're really good. I mean, I know that's obvious, but, I mean, I think that's that's where it starts, right? I think that there's just a lot of talent. I think they've obviously – it's been a huge key – for keeping them in games um, when the offense has not been looking great. Uh, I think the secondary in particular is really strong. Uh, we had a story today on Bama 24 seven about Terry Arnold, who, if you remember, you know, made that last second pass breakup against AM last year, you know, didn't have a great game against AM, but made that big play, had an interception. And he's really emerged as a really good cornerback alongside Kool-Aid McKinstry, who I think a lot of people know. So there's just a lot of talent from top to bottom. You know, this is not, an Alabama defense that has those really dominant, I think, defensive linemen up front. You know, there's no Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, you know, Ashawn Robinson type. But there is some good talent there. And I think especially at linebacker and other spots, you know, guys like Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell have been very effective in the pass rush. I think those guys have really taken a step up this year with Will Anderson no longer being there. And so from top to bottom, it's just a really good group. You know, I think it's – it's going to keep them in games. It's going to create problems for opposing offenses. And it's just, it's going to be tough to score on these guys. There's not, there's, everybody has their flaws and they certainly have weak points that you can attack, but I don't see a major flaw on this Alabama defense. Um, so it'll be a real challenge, I think, for Texas A&M. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about Dallas Turner because that, that freshman season he had, 2021, uh, was unbelievable. I mean, he he came on the scene at his eight and eight and a half sacks, I think. Uh, and then I guess last year, you know, I wasn't here, so I, did, I wasn't following it as closely. But it seemed like he didn't come on quite like people thought he would, at least statistically. And then now he now here he is, kind of back at it, five and a half sacks already for this season. So uh, what what went into that regression? I guess last season, if if you thought it was that, and then what's been clicking for him now? Uh, why, why is it like it like it was in 2021 yeah it's weird I think everybody thought to your point after the first year he had that he was just going to be a monster last year and it just didn't happen you know I, I don't know if I have a great reason for why it didn't happen I don't even know if he has a great reason for why it didn't happen it just for whatever reason just didn't click and to be perfectly honest you know Will Anderson had did I don't think had a monster year last year either. You know, I think it was just a, a kind of some scheme things maybe. Um, and I think they were having to do some different stuff given, you know, other issues that they had. But, you know, I think both of those guys at times felt invisible, you know, which is surprising. And, and Will Anderson's a great player and obviously was drafted very highly. Um, but there, there was a lot of talk this offseason about the work that Dallas had put in. Um, and, you know, I remember talking to JC Latham, their offensive lineman at SC Media Days and him talking about how, you know, how tough Dallas is to defend, how he thinks he's the best, you know, pass rusher in the SEC and just kind of the different moves he's able to do on any given play makes him just so dangerous to defend. And so I think he definitely put in the work and is ready to kind of take that next step. And I also think that Bama has been more aggressive in using those guys. I think Chris Braswell as well. I think they're realizing, you know, maybe in part because they feel really good about their secondary, that they're willing to bring, you know, some more pressure, use Dallas and, and Chris in different ways to try to, you know, best utilize their skills. And it's to this point, I mean, they're two of the most effective pass rushers in the SEC right now. So it's clearly working very well. Big picture for you, John. I know the the burning question that seems to get asked at least a, at least a couple times a year is how long Nick Saban's going to keep going for. 
how do you, how long do you think he's going to keep doing this for? And um, what's been the read around there about that? Yeah, I mean, it's always it's the question that we always get, right? And I don't, yeah. I don't even, to be perfectly honest, I don't think even he knows. You know, I think it's yeah. it's so hard to know. I mean, the thing he always comes back to, and he said it plenty of times, is basically when he feels like he can no longer deliver to a certain standard that he set, that would be the time for him to walk away. And I do believe that. I do believe that's what he intends to do. But we have seen coaches stay on too long. And, you know, it, that always gets hard. It gets awkward at the end, knowing when yeah. to walk away versus when to stay. You know, whether it's Bobby Bowden at Florida State, Joe Paterno at Penn State. You know, we've seen that plenty of times. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, and I think big picture wise, why this game is so fascinating to me is because I think for both of these coaches, there's a lot on the line. You know, I think for for Jimbo, a loss here, I think would really stoke you know, some issues with boosters and people being mad and all that. And can he get it back on track? And then I think for Saban, this would be the earliest that he's had two losses in a season since his first season in 2007 at Alabama. And I think it would probably mean that Alabama is not going back to the playoff for another year in a row. And I think there would be a lot of questions about his future at Alabama, not people pushing him out, but more just big picture. How long is he going to stay around? Has he lost his fastball? All of those things happen. I wrote about it today that like he's at that stage in his career where a win is just status quo and a loss is a catastrophe. And that's kind of just the stakes that he's at at this stage. And so, uh, I mean, it would just be, it'll be really fascinating. And I think that he's already dealing a lot with people saying he's old on the recruiting trail. He's not going to be around. And I think that's why he does things like the Pat McAfee show to appeal to a younger audience and show he's youthful and everything he does is purposeful, but another missed playoff this year, I think will create some really interesting off season questions about the long-term, uh, you know, viability of Nick Saban, how long he plans to be at Alabama. Doubt that Pat McAfee segment has been fun to watch so far this year. I would say I've, I've tuned in for a couple of those. Yeah, I mean, and it's yeah, it's it's a weird, uh, it's a weird pairing, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, I think Nick Saban's starting to get it. it. Felt like today he was starting to get it. The first couple of times, I feel like he was kind of bemused, but didn't really know what to do with Pat McAfee. Right. Um, and so, but I think he's starting to get it. And it's you know, it's a uh, it's a fun it's a fun pairing. And who and you know who knows? I could see. Yeah, I remember writing about this in my book a couple of years ago. But like you know. Nick Saban's been interested in college game day for a long time. I think he's, you know, that would potentially be a real career path for him should he ever decide to retire. So, you know, those two guys could end up working on game day together one day. Uh, that that would be crazy. Uh, John, <laughs> you may not be able to answer this, uh, but it is something that people think about along with the Saban, you know, how much longer does he have? It's kind of that question of like who's going to replace him, right? Like who who are the guys out there that Bama fans think would be? It's it feels like such an impossible role to fill, and for so long it felt like people said Dabo just because of the Bama connection and where he had Clemson at. Now people are seeing where Clemson is now, and they're like, oh, I don't know about Dabo. So yeah. and he's also just a controversial guy. It feels like uh, some people like him, some people hate him. So. In the Bama circles, when when fans are talking on the message boards, who do they point to as like, oh, we want this guy or we want that guy? Who who are kind of those names? Yeah, I don't think there's a really great obvious name right now, to be honest with you. And I think one of the crazy things about it is that even if Dabo, who has won multiple national championships at Clemson, 
even if he were to come to Alabama, he at best would be the third best coach Alabama's ever had because of Nick Saban and Bear Bryant. And so like that's that's the challenge that anybody's walking into, which is crazy, you know. First, do I want to build something somewhere else? And so if you look at, if you wanted to tie it back to the Saban tree and things like that, some of the most obvious names I just don't view as viable at this point. I don't see Kirby Smart leaving Georgia. Uh, the way that Sark has Texas rolling right now, I don't really see T Sark leaving Texas for Alabama. So you try to find who, who's the next option. There was a time, given the success he had at Louisiana and then going to Florida, I thought, all right, if Billy Napier can get Florida up and running, that one would make sense to me. He has struggled so far at Florida. I don't think Alabama fans are dying to get him back. So, I mean, I think if you pulled the message board and it does pop up from time to time, I mean, it's Deion Sanders, which I don't see as a fit at Alabama. I think it'd be a lot of fun, but I don't really see that one. The one name that I think could make sense long-term would be Dan Lanning at Oregon, um, a young guy. He's got, you know, previous GA at Alabama. I think his wife is from the South or he's got obviously some Southern roots, you know, was at Georgia, Memphis. Um, and I think it's just, you know, Oregon's going into the Big Ten, which helps. But I think, you know, it's it's tough to recruit out there. And so I could see if he has a couple of successful years at Oregon, you know, he's a really young guy, worked for Saban previously. I could see that being a natural fit. But it's just hard. I mean, there's just not a lot of obvious names out there. And I think what's wild about college football particularly right now is that it just changes so fast. I mean, a guy who was hot two years ago can be done two years later. I mean, it just it flips over so quickly in that regard. And and at Alabama, you're walking into not dissimilar to AM, but you're walking into quite a pressure cooker. You know, you're walking into people who, if you lose two games, it is a disaster. And you have to be uniquely built, I think, to handle that. And some guys are, some guys aren't. And I, you know, I sometimes joke that there's nothing I'd rather cover than an Alabama coaching search after Nick Saban. And there's also like I would wouldn't mind being like 5,000 miles away while it's happening. Cause I just think it's going to be wild <laughs> when it finally goes down because it's just been so long. I mean, they haven't had one since 2007 and Alabama has been very normal for that period. But I think when Saban goes, I think you'll see some of the, the craziness pop back up. Excellent stuff, John. Thanks so much for, for taking a few minutes to, to join us and look ahead to this weekend's game and safe travels on the way down to college station and appreciate you taking a few minutes. Absolutely. Good talking to you guys. See you in College Station in a couple of days. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.